So I hope you've been praying. Uh, go ahead and start the clock, guys. I want to welcome you, and we're going to be doing something different today. If you didn't hear about this, you're going to hear about it now, okay? Uh, but I try to always get something like this out so that you'll know, and friends that are, you're inviting and so on and everything else. We have had yet another local, literally, east side church cause a national stir in a way that's not so good. Uh, and this time it is... Uh, a church that is a mega church, and it's a mega mega church. It's a mega church is technically over 2,000 people, and I don't know what mega mega is. It's just a lot bigger than that. And this church is a lot bigger than that. It's on the east side. I'm not actually going to use their name. You can Google it and look it up yourself. A lot of people already know about it because it was in Time Magazine. Uh, it, this is their website. It was in the last issue that was printed. Uh, and it's how evangelicals are changing their minds on gay marriage. And this pastor, who I have not met, but there's many people in here who know him personally and have known him since he was a child. Uh, this pastor has decided that uh, for reasons that I'm not aware of just yet, although he's talked about some of them, and he's going to be talking about it, and we'll see. But the bottom line is, is what he said is, is that they're going to have a pastor on staff that is gay, practicing, and they're going to have, they're going to do gay weddings, and they're going to bring in that community into their church in a loving, affirming way without an attempt to try and convert them or change them or do anything like that. They're just going to bring them in and love them and affirm that this is an okay thing. Now, there's lots of reasons why a person might be able to say something like that given all the information that's gone out, but let me say something. This sermon is not going to be about the biblical basis for why we believe as an evangelical church why we believe what we believe. Evangelical, just so that everybody's on the same page, basically means you actually believe the Bible is the Word of God and that it's instructive for how we should live our lives. And that if we don't line up with the Bible, the problem's on us, not the Bible. We don't change the Bible. Now, I know this person well enough to know that I doubt seriously that he's saying the Bible doesn't matter or that I'm just going to ignore it. I don't think he's saying that. I think he's using one of, there's about three or four arguments out there right now about where the Bible doesn't really say what it plainly and clearly does say. And what I want to refer you to is that we did six months ago because of yet another ministry in Seattle that had an issue that became national fodder. And understand something, I don't sit up here and want to talk about this stuff. I don't. I'd much rather just talk about other things. I do. But, but I'm a pastor, I'm a shepherd, and I'm told to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I'm told that I'm supposed to, you don't have to do what I say. You understand that, right? You don't have to agree with me at all, right? But I'm going to stand and say the things that I believe and why I believe them and so on. And six months ago, with another issue that happened, I, I talked about same-sex relationships. What does the Bible really say about them, right? And what I did was is that we republished that so that it's towards the front of our sermon series so that you can find it anywhere fast now. And then we've labeled it part one. Today is going to be part two on another aspect. I'm not, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on what the Bible has to say, but if you want to know what the Bible has to say about it and why it says it, really, look at that. In fact, let me say something. If you're going to send this, a sermon to somebody who might be going to this church or who's wondering about it or so on, send this one, not the one I'm doing today. Okay, send this one next because I think it'll be helpful, but the bottom line is that's the more important sermon. Okay, that's what the Bible says and why. And it does things like this. And let me just give you one little sort of feel for the kinds of things that happen. The way, the, 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 the argument I expect as an educated guest for this pastor to take is this. 
the kind of homosexuality that's being discussed in Scripture is not the kind that we're experiencing today. In other words, the idea that a, that a couple, two people, should be monogamous in a long-term relationship was not what was contemplated back in those days. And therefore, when the Bible's talking about homosexuality in a way that God says he abhors and that he does not agree with, and it is because it is not according to his better way. When he says he abhors it, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Because what I am saying is this. God has an incredible way for us. No matter who we are, no matter what we have, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're doing, God has amazing. And then we want to choose something different than that, right? And that's what I mean by it. And the bottom line is, is that what they're saying is, is that kind of homosexuality is not in view at that point in time. And we do deal with that in this sermon. That's one of the arguments. It's one of the more... If I can put it this way, it's one of the ones that's swaying the day to whatever degree. And, and it's not accurate. It's not true. And there's many different ways that you can come at that. But, and we do some of them, right? This is not a comprehensive sermon, but it is enough, all right? The one thing that I, I want you to get a hold of is, is that this is not a small thing. You know how the culture's been going. It's the, it's the most rapid transition in terms of cultural mores that we've ever seen in this country, ever. It's, it's, with a, it's in a matter of what the last, you know, it's just, a, it's just a few years that everything is completely flipped over and we're in a very, very different thing. And when, when time would put up about how the evangelicals are changing their mind, they just assume that we're going to eventually get what the culture already gets. We're going to get it and then we're going to do that. And the issue with us as Bible-believing Christians is, is that God gave the scripture for precisely this kind of reason. Because mankind can go any which way that they want to go, but God put a plumb line in the world in the Scripture. And what he said was, is if you find yourself not lining up with it, there's something else wrong. You're not understanding something, right? So figure it out and get lined up with Scripture. That's what an evangelical does. That's what Christians are supposed to do. Mainline has been abandoned that for a long time now, and all kinds of stuff have happened. So having said that, Here's what this sermon is going to be about, okay? It's going to be about how do we live in a world in the way that Christ lived in the world, which is to say in a phenomenal love and still hold to a scriptural mandate, still hold to what the Word has to say. Because you see, what we get is, is we get this pastor saying this, I refuse to go to a church where my friends who are gay are excluded from communion or a marriage covenant or the beauty of Christian community. It is a move of integrity for me. The message of Jesus was a message of wide inclusivity. Now, I want you to understand something. When he says that, there's some truth in that, right? There is, and we're going to talk about some of that. But here's what I want us to really get a hold of. We all think that we're rational beings, don't you? You think that reason is what moves you. Do you realize that no social scientist believes that anymore? Hardly any psychologist believes that anymore. You know what moves us? Emotions. A sense of things. things are, the limbic part of our brain is much larger, much more central to how we think and feel. And what we do with our reason is, is that we use the reasons that comport, that, that agree with our feelings. And here's the feeling that this person is tapping into, and this in its own right, is not bad. 
Understand me. He's tapping into love and inclusivity. God made us to be one. And he's tapping into this idea that we're supposed to be one and we're supposed to be affirming of each other. And he's doing what Jesus did when he was called a friend of sinners. See it? He's doing that. So it isn't good, it isn't adequate for us as Christians to come back and say, well, I don't agree with it, here's the reasons why. Let me put it this way. If the things that God said are true, and I believe they are, then we're going to find a place of love that is deeper than what that love is. And we're going to live it. And if we don't, we lose. I'll tell you, it's worse than that. If we don't, it's on us. There are decisions. If we don't live the way that Christ demonstrated, if we don't live out this heart of love that is transcendent, then we lose. And it's on us. Okay? So that's where we're going to go. We're going to talk about how do you be the kind of person who can say, as did Jesus, to the woman that was caught in adultery. Don't misunderstand it. She was having, she was, she was in adultery. But what he says to her is, Jesus stood and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? After he said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Remember that. Very important principle for us today. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And here's what Jesus says. Neither do I. Can I tell you, that's good news for you and for me and for her. That's good news for all of us. That is good news. Neither do I. That's important. Neither do you. <laughs> but at the same time, there are these other words. So go and sin no more. He didn't say it wasn't sin. He didn't say it was okay. He said, don't do it anymore. Right? Receive the grace and live in the richness and the fullness of something that's transcendent over the judgment and condemnation and death that you would have experienced. Do you see it? Do we get it? Let this be our hearts. Greg, you're praying for the sermon. Lift it up big time. Lift up another church too. Father, we will hold on to your love. We will hold on to the truth of who you are. Lord, and help us to not be shaken. Father, as we hear this this morning, the truth from your word, may we listen with open hearts and open ears that are spiritual. Father, I want to lift up the church at large in Kitsap County. Lord, a place that, that um, has been dark for so long. Father, with pastors who have a dear heart for you, open the hearts of people there and bless the hearts of my brothers there that are preaching this morning your word. Father, your blessing upon this church as well. May we be strong in you and the power that you bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus name. amen. Now, I didn't even know about this. It's been making the rounds a little bit, but I didn't even know about this until it was referred to me by somebody because of the Time article. Uh, but I was looking at the next place we were going to be in Empowered, and I came across what I believe to be one of the most poignant, powerful, profound things that Jesus ever did. What happens is, is that he has just told his disciples that he's going to die. In other words, they were expecting Jesus to be Messiah, which meant 
deliverer, and they thought of that in physical terms, and they meant they were expecting Jesus to be the king who would come, would raise up the nation of Israel. Israel would rebel against their captors, the Romans. They would win a miraculous victory, and those who had been the oppressed would now be the ones who are ruling over. And Jesus has told them, that isn't true. You got it wrong. I'm actually going to die which they could not understand. Another important principle for today. They could not understand it. That's what the Word tells us. We saw it last time I preached, right? They couldn't understand it. Now watch what they do. The very next thing they do, watch what they do. Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. I mean, <laughs> yeah, how stupid are we? Let's, let's be, make it clear, really. Really stupid, Okay. We're really, 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 really stupid. Okay? Because we didn't get that. And instead what we do is they start arguing about who's going to be at his right hand of power, essentially. See? Who's going to be, when he takes his power, who's the greatest one who's going to be like his right arm? Right? Is his man. Now, that spirit is just abominable. But if you're a guy, you're pretty used to it. Because remember about guys something. Okay? We have testosterone, okay? Most guys can't forget that. But testosterone does this funny thing in us that even in ways that guys are unaware of is always causing us to sort of be comparing ourselves with other guys. Who's faster, who's slower, who's smarter, who's dumber, who's better socially, who's less socially. We just automatically are comparing ourselves with other people all the time. So they're just doing what is their human nature, right? And now watch what Jesus does in order to come against, John Hepburn, what the heck are you doing here? <laughs> that is awesome. We send and we receive. Hey, love you. Uh, John, great to see you. He's, you're in, he's in Japan, so he's not in Japan right now, but he's in Japan, okay? Awesome, John, hey. All right, so <laughs> it's not going to be that kind of morning, trust me. His disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. Now watch what Jesus does. And, and when, I'm, when I'm reading this to you, think about something. Could he have done this in, a, in any more effective way? Could he have made a point about something being completely different than what we think in any more powerful and profound way? Because here's what he does. Jesus knew their thoughts. I love that. So he brought a little child to his side and he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes my Father who sent me. Look, you want to know who's the greatest? The one who's the least. Let me rephrase that. The one who's taking care of the least. You want to do big and important things. No. Do... Christina Anderson and care for the least. That makes you the greatest. You see it? Now watch this. Now watch. See, he could have taken a, a person that was down on their luck or that was handicapped or he could have taken a whole lot of people. Look, look at what he does when he takes a child. Isn't there something in us that says something like this? When a, when a child is still so young that we know them to be innocent, which, by the way, is about two days. No. Uh, <laughs> when a child is young, to where we know them to be innocent, 
isn't everybody drawn to protect that innocence? You know one of the reasons why we're drawn to protect that innocence? Because we're not innocent anymore. We've experienced things in life that have caused us to be a little not a child anymore. That have caused us to grow up into difficulties and hardships and cynicism and difficulty and pain and fear. And You see what I'm saying? There's all these things that have come into our lives that when we see that child, that there's, no, there's no other person, there's no other situation I can think of where Jesus could have more profoundly said, protect. And we would have said, yes. <laughs> it's not their fault. They didn't make choices. They didn't, there's not this, there's not that. There's not, it's just an innocent child. And what he's saying is, Protect them. I want to tell you the sermon that I'm doing right now is that. And it's what every one of us is supposed to be doing with everybody that we know. Because here's the truth. In this story, we're the little children. That's the real point that he's making. We're his children. And we've gotten bollocked up in ways that are bad. And God is the one who's coming to us and saying, yeah, but it's not you and there's other things and you know what, I love you and I care about you and I'm for you and I value you and I'm, you see what I'm saying? And what he's doing is, is he's saying, I'm trying to teach you the difference between what the world does and what, what you do, what seems right to you. I'm trying to protect you because how many times have you done something that you thought was a good move? You thought it was the right thing. You, you might have even prayed about it and so on. But you thought it was the right thing. And then you got down the road a little ways and you went, oh my gosh, what did I just do? How did I get here? God says that he lets us experience the consequences of our decisions. Thankfully, not nearly as much as what we're due. But nonetheless, what he does is he lets us experience the consequences of our decision every so often and in a way that what happens is, is that we get to a place to where what we're saying is, is something, I thought it was a good move, I thought it was right, and now I'm over here and I'm going, this isn't, I, I, that thing back there was better. That life that I had, something has taken me away from the better thing. And so he lets us experience the consequences that we might turn. Here's what he's not doing. He's not shaking his bony finger at us, judging us. You dirty, I'm going to drop the other shoe. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to... You see what he's doing? What he's doing is, is in a very loving manner, he's letting us experience things in a way that we might come to a place to where we go, oh, I need to go back there. Do you see it? Which is why when you see somebody doing something like this, all Christians should be repulsed. And can I tell you why that picture is particularly poignant for this? Thank God for 9-11, first of all. But second of all, look how old she is. I may be wrong, but she looks young to me. Does she look young, young to you? She, I don't know. Take a guess. But maybe she's just a, you know, some girls, you could, but. Uh, yeah, she just doesn't look very old. And I want to say, can you imagine that there's going to be a time when she's actually going to find out about the love of Christ and she's going to look back at this moment? with that jadedness? How did I get here? I hope, I pray. But either way, the point is, is if, 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 anybody's, if anybody thinks that that's effective, pull your head out of the sand. I wasn't gonna say the sand. 
I do want to say, you understand, this thing of hatred, this thing of, of us riling up against each other, that competitiveness, that kind of a thing, I do want to say it cuts both ways, right? This is a, this is a, a clip I could show you. I didn't, it was pretty grainy and hard to see, but this is gays attack Christians in Seattle. This was a, there was a Christian rally going on. There was one guy that had a sign, and, and admittedly, it wasn't a great sign, it would, it, it did, but it didn't say you're going to hell or anything. It just said repent. And then there was another guy that was just with his Bible. And it so incensed the crowd that they ended up beating him up. Okay? And, and that's bad. But then you could say, well, it was a Christian's fault because what were they doing there and doing that and all that kind of stuff. And, and I don't, I, I'm not going to stand behind the Christians that were doing that. I just want to say there's enough hate to go around for everybody. Okay? Let's not just say that Christians are hateful. Let's say that all of us have this capacity in our hearts. All of us have this thing in us where we respond poorly. What we, do not do, what we do not respond to, what we do not do, is what God did, what Jesus does. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek. Do you know how hard that is for a guy to do? I tell you, I think it's hard for anybody to do. But there's something, a fight or flight, that kicks in, the adrenaline. When, the adrenaline, when somebody slaps you, adrenaline kicks in. And when that kicks in, you're ready. Okay? You don't respond with... Here's the other cheek. How about that? You don't. You respond wanting to respond in kind. We've got to break the in kind. Because that's where the transcendent love is. Everybody gets a reaction. People don't get when you don't react. Or when you react in a way that is actually loving and caring to the one who is abused. The second part of that, if someone demands your coat off or your shirt, bottom line, this is Roman soldiers. They had, there was a law that if they, you know, they needed something from you, you had to give it to them. And so they'd be cold, and so they'd say, give me your coat. And what Jesus is saying, no, just give them your coat, give them your shirt. Give them everything. What do they want? If they want to carry you to your pack, carry it one mile, carry it for two. See what I mean? Do whatever you got to do to be something else in the world. The world is filled with hate and division and things that are separating, and God is trying to mend it. He's trying to bring it back. And it would be lovely if we could do that by all of us doing whatever we wanted to do, but the fact of the matter is, is when we do whatever we want to do, we end up usually butting heads even worse. Because what you're doing, I either don't like or it impinges upon what I want to do. Or, 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 or. I mean, there is this argument that says, well, we just need to let people be. Right? It's not hurting you, right? Okay, well, let's take that for a second, and let's just look at, is that really love? It's just because it's not hurting you. Is that really love? Now, now watch. Here's the way that Jesus goes after this. The God through Paul. Look, he says, and we're going to look at the verse in a second, he says, don't be deceived. Don't, don't, don't think that people that are doing things that are not godly are going to get into heaven. Don't think that. Don't be deceived. Don't, don't, don't lie to yourself and others and so on. But then here's what he says. The next thing he says is, some of you were once like that. You, you see the reason why he's telling us not to be judgmental of people? Because he could have been judgmental of us. <laughs> right? He forgave you, so forgive them. He forgave you. He had grace for you, so have grace for them. Do you see it? Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And here's the key point to this. Why do we treat people that have not been 
made holy and made right with God by the calling in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit and been cleansed. Why do we expect people who have not had that experience to understand things the way that we do? They do not. They can not. They do not see it. And what they see instead is, is why are you being like this? It seems stupid to me. The things of God are foolishness to the natural mind. That's the way the scripture says it. Do you see this? And so what happens is they're not going to see it. And what he's saying is, is have a heart because that was you. <laughs> right? So have compassion. Jesus, Splunk Mitzomai, moved with compassion. Acts. That's what we're to be. We're to be made in his image. This is how we're to be. Move with compassion. I get that you don't see it. But I do. What do you want me to do? Stop seeing it? See? Now watch. Even Jesus on the cross takes us to the nth degree, doesn't he? Because here he is on the cross, beaten to within an inch of his life to begin with. And what's the last thing that he says? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The people that beat me up and that ripped my flesh off and that nailed me to this cross, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't see it. They don't get it. Father, forgive them. Here's what Paul says in order to play this out. God through Paul. Look, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filled up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. Here's what that means. Jesus was beaten to save the people that were beating him. Not to judge them. Not to condemn them. And if you're a Christian made in his image, what's going to happen to you? There's going to be moments where you're going to be afflicted. You're going to suffer. Jesus is not here anymore to be, so that we can beat on him. You are. So that people who do not understand can beat on you and do something which is absolutely profound. And let me show you this. I'm, I'm going to get to it in just one second, but let me just show you. Let's set this up for you to see how much this is in Scripture. This idea that we are completing his sufferings. We're completing the journey for our friends that Christ began by being like Christ in their life. And so what he says is, is this is Stephen, right? Stephen is one of the deacons. And by the way, I, I, I want to say, it occurs to me that Stephen's sermon to the religious leaders is probably the most understudied sermon in Scripture in a, in a certain fashion because it's the best sermon ever given in the Scriptures. Better than Paul's, better than Peter's, better than anybody's. It is an absolutely brilliant recapitalization of everything that God was doing throughout the history of the Israelites. It's this unbelievably great sermon. I, I, I say it's the best. It, there might be one better, but I don't know what it is. Okay? But he gives this amazing presentation on what was going on. And instead of people seeing it, it incenses them to the point that they start to stone him to death and do actually kill him. 
And here's what he does. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He falls to his knees and he shouts, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Don't charge the people that are throwing rocks at me with this sin. <laughs> That's not normal. <laughs> Father, deliver me. Father, cause the rocks to turn around in the air and hit them in the face. Right? I got some stuff I could say right there. It seems a lot more natural, and that's exactly the point. Because what's supernatural is to say to the person that's afflicting you, don't charge them with this. Forgive them. They know not what they do. No, don't, don't. Just watch. So here's our first principle. How do you act in love? How do you act in his love? Understand that others cannot see what you see. Can we all get that in our heads? That because you see the world one way does not mean that they did. And all you got to do is remember that you didn't see it either before God saved you, before he made you new, right? So can we just get that down deep in our heart? They really don't see it. So it's not about reason all of a sudden. It's not about logic. They're not going to see it. So it's not about any of that, right? So absorb in love however they might strike out. After all, you didn't see it either before you were cleansed, before you were changed, before God did this thing where you could suddenly see. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us on a little journey, okay? And I've used this illustration before, but I, I need to do this again. So I need four people, and I'm going to ask you guys to come up, okay? And I'm sorry, I love you, and you're going to hate this, but come on up, okay? <laughs> anyway, I should have done it. And you raised your hand even though you were just yawning, so I need you too, okay? <laughs> All right? Now, now these are, come on, you've got to come too. You get to go snowboarding, you, get to, you can come here too. That was his brother. Oh, it was his brother? Oh, I'm sorry. You didn't get to go snowboarding? Okay. Oh, really? You don't snowboard? Okay. Basketball. Yeah, I get that. No kidding. Take a look. Okay. All right. Now, here's the deal. Okay? The four of us are friends. Okay? We like each other. We hang out together. We see the world the same way. We, oh, five of us. Yeah, sorry. The four of us, the two of us. But, but you get the point. So here we are. We're friends, and we're hanging out together and everything else. And we all see the world the same way, so we're in this same boat going down this river just floating down the river having a grand old time right now all of a sudden one day for whatever reason God happens to touch me and I get saved and all of a sudden I see differently and in seeing differently he takes me out of that crowd even though I'm still friends but he takes me out of it and he brings me to a place to where I can suddenly see the world from a different vantage point you see this I see the world differently than I saw it before and here's what I see. Around the bend on this mountain that they can't see because there's a mountain here, but over there, there's a waterfall into the drum pit. Only it's bigger and badder and it's going to kill them. And so I'm up here on this thing and I'm saying, hey, get out of the boat, there's a waterfall coming. Get out of the boat. And what they say is, is yeah, right, you remember how it used to be. He used to get it, you know. But he doesn't, now he's just a whack job, and who cares? And, you know, we're not listening to him. So they're just playing and having fun, and they're still kind of going down the river, and you guys got to be together, and you got to kind of float down the river a little bit, okay? All right, there you go, okay? Nice, nice, nicely done, okay? Now, now, what I do is I'm distressed about my friends, these people that I love, and I'm saying, 
there's a waterfall, they're going to die, and I'm begging them, and they're ignoring me. And God comes to me and says this, are you willing to complete the work that I started? Are you willing to let me do with you what they did with me in order to do something that might save? And if my answer is yes, having counted the cost of a tower, knowing that this means harm to me, then God takes me from this protected mountaintop and he puts me down here in the river. And now you guys are floating towards me. And as they're floating, <laughs> you're in a boat though, so you're oh, not God. just, okay. <laughs> Nicely done. So as they come, they hit me. And as they hit me, they're hurting me. There's, they're defriending me. They're unfriending me in Facebook. They're <laughs> spreading rumors about me. They're, they're saying I should be fired. They're, whatever it is, they're hurting me. You see it? Now, at this moment in time, I have one of two things I can do, right? One of them is testosterone reaction. You hurt me. You know, Father, judge them for what they do, right? In which case, they float right on by me around the corner and over the waterfall to their death. So nothing's changed. But here's the change agent in the world. It's you and me. Christ in us, having made us new, so that we're capable of doing something that is not natural. And when somebody hurts us, what we say is not, Father, judge them for what they do. It's, Father, forgive them. They really don't see it. Just think about it throughout the history of the Bible. What message of, inter of a person that will stand in the gap? What more, what more message is there in the Bible than the person that will stand in the gap? From the very beginning with Moses, who stood in the gap so that God did not destroy the whole nation of Israel. And all the way through, God is looking for somebody who will stand in the gap. And standing in the gap means it's going to be suffering and painful affliction. And so what happens when they're doing this to me is I'm saying, Father, forgive them. Now, when you do that, that causes, a, a problem is not the right word, but it causes a dilemma, or that's not the right word either. I don't, what is it? It's a, here's what God does. I gave these guys free will. I've talked to them. I've tried to set them straight. They wouldn't listen. So, you know, they're choosing their fate. And when they get to the waterfall, they'll look back and say, oh, yeah, you did try, and sorry about that. You know what I mean? But that's it, right? But at the moment that they're hurting me, I'm his child. I'm somebody that he loves. And if I will respond with love towards those who are hurting me, then that is giving him an access, a new access, into their free will. That gives him a new opportunity to go to them and quicken, to touch them with something that might save. Do you see it? Now, will it save every person doing that? No. Did Jesus save every person with his cross, death on the cross? No. But what if it saves these two? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but you see it? You see, you see the ministry that God has called us to? Do you see it? He's called us to be this unnatural thing in the world. Love. Love that is beyond. Now watch. I want to say love that is beyond. Go, to, go back down here again, okay? 
God, help me with this. If I'm a pastor, and I should know better, but what I do is I say, it's okay. God loves you. You don't have to change. It's fine. I've sent them to their death. I'm confident that the pastor who's making this decision here on the east side believes the Bible does not say this. I'm confident of that. I'm also incredibly confident that he's wrong. And if you don't like the sermon that I did, feel free to come and talk to me because that is the tip of of a very big iceberg. People say that God doesn't talk about this very much. That's nonsense. He talks about it quite a bit. And he talks about a whole lot of stuff that is directly connected to it. And so it's found throughout Scripture. The same word throughout Scripture never changes. And what he's talking about is this thing that we do. And here's the problem. If I'm a pastor, I'm not only sending them to their peril when they should have known better, but God tells us that the pastor is under double scrutiny. And so I'm praying for this young man. I mean, I am praying for this young man that something will happen, somebody will get to him, the Holy Spirit will do something, and he will see and repent and make a change. Because not only will it hurt those people who die, whom he could have helped, it will hurt him, and it will also hurt the culture. Because people who are on the fence about this and not wanting really to spend a lot of time working on it, they'll say, well, he believes that, so why don't you? You do realize, and this is the important part about this, is the reason why I'm spending this much time on this today. You do realize that this is the first evangelical megachurch in the country that has made this decision. And there are several others that are going to make it now because of it. It won't be a majority at all. The vast majority are Bible-teaching, Bible-believing, Bible-oriented, and they're not going to go down this road at all. But you do realize that when we try and talk to people about God's better, it's going to be harder because of the message that they're getting from people that should know better. That it's okay. Why can't you just accept me like they do? And do understand something. If you're into something and people don't agree with what you're into, that does not feel like love. Doesn't matter how much they, they say that they love you. It does not feel like love, does it? Right? If they don't accept you. So we understand why somebody in the LGBTQ community would feel like we don't love them, don't we? That doesn't mean we don't, though. Just because they don't feel like it doesn't mean it's not true. What we've got to do is find the things that God can do in order to make them understand that to some degree, and we're going to talk about that in one second. Thank you, boat. (laughs) Okay? Thank you. Thank you. I owe you big. (laughs) Okay? All right. I just want to make it clear Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, now let me say something. There's a lot of people in here that have indulged in sexual sin. There's a lot of people here who are captured in some sort of bondage about sexual sin. The issue that he's talking about is not that if you make one mistake, you're going to hell. The issue is, is where do you turn? When you make a mistake, do you turn back to God knowing that it's not his best for you and asking him to help you? Or... Do you just continue in your sin saying it's okay? 
If you do that, you're, you're separating yourself from the God who's trying to help. You see it? If he's trying to help you and you're saying there's nothing wrong with it, then, right? Now you've separated yourself from him. That's your choice. It's not his. It's yours. So don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these people are getting into the kingdom of God. And understand, it's not just people that are into sexual sin, right? It's all kinds of people that aren't going to get there because they've separated themselves from the way to treat other people. They've separated themselves from the, essentially the Ten Commandments. We're not under the law, but the idea behind the law is don't cheat people, don't steal from them, don't covet what they have, be nice to them, help them, love them, right? So that's what the problem is. Now, I want to just take this verse here, and I want to do a very quick thing. Male prostitutes are feminine or practice homosexuality. This is NLT. I love it. I use it all the time. But be careful. Always read another translation. If you read another translation, the translation is going to be effeminate. And I want to say that's the much better word. Here's what the NLT translators did. They look at Corinth, which was a city that was on a major trade route and had a major temple. And in the temple, they practiced temple prostitution. And so there was all kinds of sexual sin that was going on there, promiscuity. Okay? And so they say that's what he's talking about, but it's not what he's talking about. And in fact, the thing that I want you to see is, is that a lot of people will take that and they'll say, see, he's talking about promiscuity, male prostitution, that kind of thing. But that's not what it says. What it actually says is effeminate or, here's the, here's the Greek. You ever seen an interlinear before? This is an interlinear. It means that there's the Greek word and then there's a word, the translation underneath it. And that first word there is abusers themselves as women. What it literally comes from is the word soft. What it's saying is the person who has that affectation which is so commonly correlated with. And you think that that was, that's not something new. That's something throughout history. This is a particular bend. And you say, well, people can't do anything about that because it's human nature. I understand. I do. But what God is saying is, is that when it gets to a place of abuse, when you allow something to happen, if you happen to not like football and you like other things, if you know, crocheting or something, you know what I mean? That's not a sin. It's not. You don't have to be macho, right? That can be just as much of a sin as being careful and considerate, right? But the bottom line that we're going after is, is what he's talking about is, is somebody who's allowing themselves to essentially come into the position, a man who's allowing themselves to come into a position of a woman in a relationship. And I want you to see that he uses two terms in part because he's trying to get it out of just this idea of the promiscuity part of it. God and Paul are actually making a point much more profound than don't be promiscuous. They're saying when these relationships go to these other places, it's not God. The second word, by the way, simply means a man laying with a man. By the way, neither one of those words means prostitute. Neither one of those words means promiscuous. They don't. It's not in the verse. What's in the verse is, is this. In fact, it's consistent with, this is the one thing I'm doing that's going to be a little bit about Scripture because this is the one that you have to deal with. If, if, if anybody ever talks to you about this and they want to make an argument and they deal with this verse, then they have not dealt with the full witness of Scripture. And this is the one that is the most problematic for somebody who wants to say that in the New Testament it's not a problem. These long-term monogamous relationships are not a problem. If they want to say that, you have to get past Romans 1. And Romans 1 is this idea that we've already talked about, where what God does, he says, if you keep pushing me away, 
I turn you over to things. And then when you practice those things, I intend them to start to go a direction that you go, what's happening in my life? And he's trying to bring you to repentance. He's not turning you over to judge you. He's turning you over in hopes that you repent. You do remember Paul talking about a uh, son sleeping with his mother, right? And he says to him, you've got to turn him out for the destruction of his flesh. But then in the next letter he comes back and he says, but you're going to receive him back now that he's repented. <laughs> See? He was saying, let, him, let, him, let that thing happen because he'll stop. And guess what? They, let, they turned him out and it stopped. <laughs> and then he says, now welcome him back. Because <laughs> such were some of you. Right? So he says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Exchange the truth of God for a lie. The Bible is in the world because God knows that we're malleable creatures. And we can wrap our heads around almost anything. So he left a plumb line in the world that we should line up to it, not the other way around. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. Even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Look at how he's talking about it. He's not talking about promiscuity there. He's talking about this thing of two women is not natural. And then he comes, males in the same way, left natural relations with females. They were inflamed with lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received of their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And this is something that nobody gets to talk about anymore. But you just need to do the research on it yourself and understand the kinds of issues that gay people, particularly men, have. They're substantial. This is not just a, 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 a whimsical saying by God. It's supported by the evidence, even in a monogamous situation. But I'm not going into that, so please don't quit listening to me. Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. What he's saying is he just kept turning them over and turning them over and turning them over in hopes that they would repent. Some do and some don't. And that's the way of the world. God gave us free will. So here we go. Now, this is what we mean when we say understand that others can't see what we see. So absorb in love, however, whatever might come to you. Know what's true. Stand for it. But stand in love. After all, you didn't see it. Now, number two, and we're going faster on these ones. That was the big one. Understand God made all of us to seek love. Can we do something? Can we admit something? I think this is somewhat uncomfortable for a lot of people to do, but this is important. When a man has an inclination towards another man, yes, it can be physical. It can be inflamed passions. But understand something. It's not always that way. There are men who are born, and for whatever reason, we can argue it genetically or nature versus nurture and so on, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that when they think about another man, they think about having the kind of relationship that a girl, when she looks upon a man, and a man, when he looks upon the girl, God intended for them to have. God made us to be one with one another. In fact, Jesus says that, doesn't he? He says... May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us. And I want to say something. We can affirm that desire. We don't have to affirm its end 
in a same-sex relationship. But we can say this desire that you have is from God, and we can say something else to somebody in compassion. And I've said this every single time I've ever talked about this, so I'm still, I'm batting a thousand right now. I'm here to tell you that I believe that the sexual sin, somebody who's struggling with homosexuality, and by the way, more so with men than with women, women's sexual identity, you guys who take psychology know that that's, it's much more malleable. It can shift. But men's is pretty fixed. It's pretty hard to shift. Not to say that it doesn't. When people say that it doesn't, that's a lie too. Because there are literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that have, that have, done, that have gone through paths and journeys and so on and found themselves in very loving, long-lasting sustainable, you know, marriages, okay, not same sex. But here's the thing that I want us to, to get a hold of. We can affirm that your desire is to be one with somebody else and that your orientation, however you want to explain it, I don't care anymore. However you want to explain it is a certain way. And we can affirm that God wants that for you too and that this is a particularly difficult thing because if you tell me, as a person that has a attraction towards women, if you tell me that I never get to have sex again in my entire life, what do I say back to you? Now, can I just show you right there how wrong-headed that is? Because Paul himself says it's better if you're celibate. Does that mean then that the only hope for is, is God? Well, yeah, it does. Does that mean that all gay people that have an impulse like that just need to be celibate? And let me, let me change the words on that. That's putting, it on the, that's putting the accent on the negative. Let me put the accent on the positive. Your journey is harder, and when your journey's harder, if you get to the place where God wants, it's better. People that go through more difficult things experience more fullness. And a person that has learned how to lay down their own and find him in that love relationship... I'm not talking about it being easy, but I am talking about it being glorious. I mean glorious to the extreme. It's in Western culture that we've said, well, if you don't get to have sex, then what's, we use, what's the point of life? That is not biblical. It's not, right? God made us to seek love, in fact... God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In fact, the way that he actually says it is, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He did not send his son to condemn the world. He sent his son to try and save. We are made in his image. This is what we must do. We are not here to shake a bony finger or hold a sign. We're here to come alongside somebody and love them. And I want to say something, two things right now. First of all, in that first point that I made, well, yeah, that first point, I want to say there's been many, many, many gay people that have been in this congregation, some of whom know that it's not God's best for them, and so they're working at getting, they're working at that, and some of whom were just in that. Do you know what's never happened in this church? And I think that this is a testament to you. I've never heard a person that was struggling with that say that they didn't find love here. Every person that's ever struggled with that in, in either one of those capacities has said, I found a place that valued me, that respected me, that cherished me, that valued me as a human being. They told me that they didn't think that it was God's best for me. 
and that they were willing to stand beside me and walk with me and go through this with them. But I can tell you, what, they, what nobody's ever said to me is, will you guys judge me? Not once. Now, it'll happen now, so bring it on. But you know what I mean? But honestly, we really work at it. Let me say it this way. Let me tell you what the story that I want to tell you now. There's a guy who's a long-term friend of this church. Some of you will figure it out by the story. I hope you don't. But the bottom line is, is that this is a guy, he's got some millennial-age kids, and if you don't understand what's going on the millennial-age kids about this subject, you just, you just cannot understand how different it is than the way that anybody who's not millennial thinks about it. Okay, you just don't understand how completely the culture has shifted. I mean, if you, if you poll about homosexuality, is it wrong, is it unbiblical, and so on, amongst millennial Christians, I don't know what the percentage is up to, but it's like 50 to 60 to 70%. Okay, it's very high and getting higher every day. Okay? And so the point is, is that this person has millennial kids. One of them's even serving in the ministry and really doesn't see the problem with it. Another one actually goes to the church where this is happening. They were in a discussion. One of the kids tried to sort of paint the dad into the classic sort of, well, you're just judgmental. I've watched this person four times in the years that I've known him, four times now. One guy was a pastor, came out as gay. This guy walked through that incredibly painful transition with him every step of the way in love. Told him he didn't think it was right, but that he was a friend and I'm not abandoning you. Literally flew to see him and to comfort him in times of greatest distress when the person wanted to take their life. I could tell you other stories, but let me tell you the one he says to his kids who are saying, yeah, dad, but you're like this. And here's what he says to one of them. He said, when your friend who was a practicing, and I won't mention which gender, but for, when your friend who was a practicing this became homeless, who took him in for a year? In my house, under my roof, cared for them, provided for them nurse him back to help. Now, if I remember the story correctly, this person is no longer in that lifestyle. And I might have gotten that wrong, and if I did, I apologize for it, but I believe that that's true. I should, I, sorry, I didn't get a chance to take that out. But here's what I want to say. Do you see, you see what he was able to do? He was able to say, you can say whatever you want about your stereotypical thing, but don't put me in the stereotype because look what I've done. My actions speak louder than my words. I say I love you and I've demonstrated it in palpable ways and they all had to say that's true. You see it? I think the point is is that we need to get to a place, guys, to where we can say that we're a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I want to say if there's, not a, if there's not a number of people in your past that you can look to and say these are people that I have loved. I, there's so many stories, my gosh. I... We could sit here all day and do this. I'm not going to do that because I want you guys to talk. So we're going to be talking about this in just one second here. So let me just keep going. Understand God made all of us to love. And we can affirm that. We need to affirm that. And then here's the last part. Understand that God's actively pursuing us. God is actively pursuing you. Them, you, everybody. He's actively pursuing. And what that means is it's not on you. What is on you is that you be who God made you to be, which is love, 
neither do I condemn you. But don't go and do any more of that. We need to be doing both of those things. In fact, the way that it says it in Scripture is, when the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it's their fault if they die. But if the watchmen see the enemy coming and don't sound the alarm to warn the people, he's responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deeds. Now let me make something clear. If, what, if, you're, if your way of being the watchman on the wall is, you're a dirty, rotten sinner and you need to repent, and then they don't repent, surprise, surprise. Can I say even though you quote-unquote warned them that it's still on you? Because you weren't Christ? You weren't Christ-like? We know that, right? Everybody, and I'm preaching to the choir, I know, for the most point here, right? But everybody gets this. And we understand that if we, if we, don't, if we don't fulfill the heart of the law, then we haven't fulfilled the law. We haven't fulfilled the thing that God is asking us to do, right? So what we do is, in love, we demonstrate that in a real way. And this is just a quick story. I'm, I used to get my hair cut by a guy. I've had many, many gay haircutters in my life. But I was getting my hair cut by a guy, and I really, really fell in love with this guy. Don't misunderstand what I mean when I say that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but I really fell in love with this guy. And the reason why was in part because he's from Missouri. And if anybody knows what Missouri's like, you know that that's a place where this kind of thing is well, beyond, well behind what's happening on the coasts in terms of acceptance. And this person's parents were religious. And he really wanted to love God, but he'd been turned out by his parents. He'd been judged and kicked out. Now, that's his side of the story. I know that there's another side of the story. You know what I mean? And they probably would tell it very differently than that. But the bottom line is his perception of it was that he was kicked out. And that just gave me enormous compassion for him. And I used to sit there, and we would talk about all kinds of things. And we just had this great relationship. I'm the kind of guy, if you're sitting there with me for very long, I know a lot about you. And you know a lot about me, right? I'm going to ask you questions. We're not going to talk about the weather. You know what I mean? We're going to talk about stuff that matters. How you doing? What's going on? And we had a very deep and real relationship. And I was walking out of that place one time, and I, it makes me cry to even think about it. And I was walking back to my car, and the Lord very gently and lovingly spoke to me and said, if he were to die, he wouldn't know what's true. You haven't been what I need you to be. And so the next time I had an appointment, I came back and I said, can I talk to you privately? And I said, I want to make it clear from the outset that it is my desire that our professional relationship in terms of you cutting my hair continues. I hope that that's what happens from this. But even more important than that is I want you to know how much I love you. I love you with all my heart. I feel like the Lord told me when I was leaving that I needed to tell you this. And I told him that. And I said, and I hope that we can work our way through that because I'm not going to cut you off or judge you or do anything. I'm just going to tell you, I just need you to know how I feel about it, how, what I think about it, R wrong or right. And I want to move forward in our relationship, but I, but I feel like I need to express this to you. Now, understandably, he was crushed. And he said, I, I don't want to continue. And my only hope is, is that God has since spoken to him and there was a seed planted and something of value. And I trust that God is the one who is his savior 
and this help. And it's not on me to be everything. It's on me to be obedient. And obedience means loving. And loving does not always mean not saying anything. It does mean not saying anything if he hasn't told you to. But when he tells you to, it means doing that too. And if it hurts, it hurts. We good? Microphones, I want to hear, how do we do this? I want you to tell me a story or two, do something. I want you to just speak, okay? We don't have a ton of time, but we've got some. And I just want to hear stories. We're right here in the middle. Can we go right there, Adam? Right, right here. I can't see quite well. Maybe we do something on bringing up the house lights, maybe just a touch. Go ahead. Say your name first and then. My name is Michelle. Um, I have a friend in Spokane who was raised in a gay lifestyle, um, was ready to be killed, and called out to God, if you save me, I will serve you. And now he ministers to the gay community. And what he calls them are the fatherless, especially for the men. They are seeking that male acceptance because they didn't have it usually as growing up. That is one of the pathologies of it, and and there's a lot of people that way. I always want to be careful about lumping everybody Mm -hmm. under one umbrella, and you know that too, Michelle. I know you, and I know what you do. And if, if you guys don't know them, you need to get to know them because these guys live the gospel. They live in a very tangible and real fashion. So thank you for that. Go ahead. Oza. Yeah, this was, uh, this was almost unheard of in the black community for its homosexuality. But my wife and I last night, it was providential that we was watching, uh, well, she had a video on, and it was dealing with Kurt Franklin. I mean, uh, Donnie McClurkin. You all may know his story. And he was raped at eight years old by his uncle. His uncle's son raped him at 13. So he said the thing that brought him through was the church. He said it was the women in the church initially because they taught him how to act like a man. And it takes a community to deal with issues like this. And secondly, these, all of these men from, who was it? Uh, who was the other singer, baby, the pastor? Uh, Marvin, uh, Marvin Winans. And he went from his church to Marvin Winans' church, and it was men. So it was a process. And one of the things that really compelled him from that lifestyle was love. So love is so important in the church. If this group of people or this sin is to be dealt with, it has to come through the church. There's no social program is going to help them. So if they're not getting love in the church, if we turn them away, it's our fault. Yeah. It's our fault. Thank and you, what's going to bring them through is the love of God. Thank you. For the past 45 years, I've been ministering in this country and also Canada. And God has led me to different people from different walks of life. And he led me, uh, 2012, a homosexual couple. One woman is from San Francisco. Another woman is from um, Ontario, Windsor, Ontario. He led me to these people on one Sunday and uh, asked me to give them the gospel. Uh, One woman is dying of leukemia. Uh, The one from uh, California 
she was a Sunday school teacher, and the other woman, Canadian woman, was a, um, a good office in government, and uh, she had Catholic background. So I met both of them, and the Spirit led me, and I told them, God loves you, and God, God is holy, just, and he cannot condone and what sin. And then I led both of them to Christ. Thank the you. other one woman, California woman, was dying after leukemia, and I, then she I, was saved. Both of them were saved. You know, one, she died. One day, would you guys help me remember this? One day, I, I'm not... This whole impartation thing as if there was some magic dust or something when you touch somebody. That's just a, you know, impart. It is, the Bible talks about laying on of hands, but we understand that you don't have to lay on of hands, right? But actually, I want to say I'd love for you to pray for a whole bunch of people here one day and lay hands on them. And I'd love to because you have such a phenomenal heart. And the way that you minister and everything about you, I, I want to be more like you when I grow up. So, you know what I mean? I, I love your heart. And... What a great story. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Okay. Uh, who's up? Uh, Adam Lebonsky back here, I, as I see. I'm, I, I'm seeing a little better. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah. Um, about 20 years ago, I was going to church, and a uh, guy approached me who had visited us. Uh, he was in town interviewing from uh, way, out of, way out of the state. And he came back and he said, I took the job. I'm going to come here. When I came to the church, I felt very loved. Um, it was a different church than this, but um, local. And uh, I struggle with homosexuality. And I would like to win. I love God. Yeah. Um, and I'd love it if you were my friend in this. And over the years, um, all of my friends, uh, he you know, grew to trust people within the group. And so everybody knew. Yeah. And he struggled with it. Uh, we actually became roommates. He, uh, him, me, and one other per one other guy, uh, and we were roommates for ten plus years yeah. until the day I got married. Yeah. Uh, and he stood with me uh, on stage as I got married. That's phenomenal. He did not win his struggle, and uh, is you know still in a devoted relationship. But the point here is that he genuinely struggled with it and desired as I desire a relationship with a woman, with and, a man. And you've not given up. Oh, goodness, no. You know? And the thing is, no. at no point did he ever feel unloved and would stand with me, yeah. even as we debated the merits of what the Bible said. Yeah. It's funny, you know, as yeah. guys, we get together with a group of guys that we can tell them our sexual problems with because they'll help raise our hands and help us, right? And then we wouldn't do that. For somebody who's having the exact same problem, just have a different, right? Go ahead. Let's do a couple more. I've got, Brian, did you want to say something? Or were you just, were you just doing something with your wife's hair? Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, say your name. Zach Rogers. So um, this, this issue... I want to state first that most Christians look super stupid when it comes to this. I mean, very silly to the outside world. Um, Let's be clear about. And something. I want to be clear about what I mean by Zach that. Zach has is family that, members. Yes. So. Yeah. And so I'm going to get into that, but I'm not. I'm not going to take too much time. But what I mean is this: it seems so 
unloving for the individuals who are practicing this lifestyle who according to scripture and according to you know what Kurt was saying is they cannot see what they cannot see they cannot see it and so our uh, relationships with with them and our approach and the way that we interact has to be exactly like that that we just right. they just can't see what they can't see period you know uh, my, my sister, when um, is a practicing and married, you know, uh, homosexual, and she actually was um, on the cover of Time magazine with her now, you know, partner wife. And they have three children together, and, and you know, they just can't see what they can't see. I don't know how, how else to say it. And so people look at um, my family, and I get different reactions from Christians, you know. Well, what do you do? Well, you love them. You invite them in your home. You eat with them. You love them. They're your family. You just keep loving them. Because they just can't see what they just can't see. You know, and that's really what it comes down to. And it's, you know, they have children together, and I love their children. And I love them. And, you know, uh, uh, her, her wife was... Um, was brought up as an evangelical Christian and, and served in, in, in the church and, and was a part of the youth ministry and, and just, just just deceived, yeah. you know? And, and, and Christians and churches throughout, are, they're just deceived. And this yeah. pastor, he's just wanting to become culturally relevant and, and find a way to, to take what once was something that God's plan was and just, it's just this little twist, you know, this little twist of, scripture and it's just you know now, I want to make something clear because when we say love it's also true that they know where you stand they do and it used to be an issue and I, I just real quick so when they got married um, I didn't I didn't go to the wedding you know I, I, I wanted to support my family but I just didn't want to show up for that and it became a huge issue for a while and so you know one of the things that I used as an example, I said, listen, I, I don't agree with abortion, but I'm going to love whoever it is that's making choices that I may not even necessarily agree with. I says, but if I had a friend who was participating, wanted to do that, I'm not going to put them in my car and drive them to the clinic to get it done, but I'm going to support them as an individual and not support the choice that they make. And, you know, it, it was a big problem for a while in, in my family because they felt like I was, you know, equating their loving family and marriage to getting an abortion and that wasn't my intent when I explained it but yeah. I just didn't know how to you know I'm gonna jump oh. in I you know the scripture does say with, with the guy that was sleeping with his mother it says it says don't fellowship with him and so I, I just want to say something what we need to be is obedient and we need to be loving but what we need to understand is is God's love, God knows what they need more than we do. Can I just tell you the biggest thing I think is happening in my life right now, and I think it's, it's going to get through to the whole church here. I've really come to a place to where there's nothing other than simple obedience. There isn't anything in me at right now other than simple obedience. It doesn't matter if I understand it. It doesn't matter if I agree with it. It doesn't matter if he tells me why it is. It doesn't matter. Go ahead and work your way over to Marina, would you, and we'll just do one or two others, but I just want to say something. For me, it's just simple obedience, because here's the point. Love is the thing that's most likely to cut through. 
But that doesn't mean that he might not ask you to do something like I had to do with the guy that cut my hair. You know what I mean? And I didn't want to do that. Because yeah, I get that. I think it is. And that's why I say God knows what they need more than I do. And what I need to be is his instrument, period. Rena. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to try to be very sensitive, um, not to give too many details. So I'm the, uh, the chair of a uh, scholarship uh, from one organization here locally. And uh, so, and one of the this lady that's in my committee, she's pretty high ranking, um, very influential. In fact, she already got her, uh, this university to sponsor a couple applicants. And um, so what I have to say is, I, you know, she's, she's a lesbian and uh, recently became aware of that. She's loving, she's, uh, I like her as a person and I think I, I, I was struggling. I said, God, I don't know how to, you know, um, minister to her, to how to reach out to her. And what I, what I practice in my life is, you know what, I say a prayer when I go and talk to you. It's like, Lord, what is the intent? What is it that I'm supposed to Amen. impart into this person? Give me wisdom, you know, Holy Spirit, what is it? Amen. And so that's what I'm walking on, the obedience and loving on her, you know. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what God, you know, has in store. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm probably just supposed to plant seeds into her life. And as, far, uh, as well as the guy that cuts my hair the same way he's, uh, right. he's, um, he's gay. That's right. He does a wonderful life, uh, uh, job doing my hair. But when I'm sitting in the chair for one hour, when he's, you know, doing my hair, I pray. And I say, God, what is it that you want me to Amen. ask him today? Now, now, here's what's funny. We should be doing that with everybody that we ever meet. Right? So all of a sudden it becomes an issue, so we do it. But in the end, I think God brings that to us to say, if that works there, this other person here maybe doesn't have that struggle, but they have another one, and you can be the instrument in that, which is why we put on your doors that little thing that says, as you're walking out your door, Stop and pray. Stop and pray. What do you want me to do with the people that I'm encountering? Why? Simple obedience. We're going to go ahead and wrap up. We're just right at time here, and I want to, I want to go ahead and do this. But, but thank you for being the kind of community. This was a little bit of, I know that you guys got what I was saying today, but thank you for giving me the license and the time to articulate it. Hopefully it helped. Uh, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, this body comes before you, and what we ask you for is that you would take our measly, inadequate words and that you would fill them with life, that you would use them for good, that you would cause all things to work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And that is not only us. That is many, many, many people who are struggling or who are in and not struggling with a same-sex attraction or relationship. There are many of them who are called according to your purpose. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, if we were to be honest, every single person on the face of the earth is called by you since before the foundation of the world. And so what we say is, as God cause everything to work together for good and make us an instrument of that. 
not what we think, what you think, not how we would do it, how you would do it. You're the one who is their help. You're the one who is their savior. You're the one who is our savior. So in Jesus' name, we reach 